The Old Testament reading is from 1 Deuteronomy 26, starting at verse 1, and that's on page 194 in the Church Bibles. First Fruits and Tithes. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labour. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. And then in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we hear about the temptation of Jesus on page 973 in the Bible. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's a lovely topic, the temptations. Now, if I start now and carry on with all the things I can tell you about them, we'll still be here tonight. And as I know you've got a church meeting planned for not too late on, I'll uh, take just a part of it. So this is just a section of all that you can discover about the temptations. But I hope it's a thing that will make you think and perhaps go on to look at other aspects for yourself. I wonder if you have ever done walking in the hills. <coughs> mm. And you've got to a place, you're following a map or a waymarked route, and you get to a place, and there in front of you, there's quite a steep climb. And you're already fairly shattered because you've done quite a good walk. And you get into this place, and you're sort of thinking, oh. And then you see, just going off, just to the left, there's, there's a another route and it looks much flatter and a bit wider and it looks much much easier and you think hmm well it's going in about the same direction and it looks nice and flat and I'm really a bit shattered and going up that steep incline might be a bit much so if I take this nice smooth path round maybe I'll get to the same place but it'll just be easier Anyone done it? Yeah. And anyone having got several, well, say, several hundred yards in, discover that this lovely, nice, flat path has landed you in either a whole morass of bog, a whole morass of other paths going you don't know where. You've no idea where you came from because behind you, that one nice path isn't one nice path at all, and you're lost totally and absolutely lost in a horrible bog or somewhere nasty that you didn't intend to get to, yes? Yeah. yeah. It's so easily done, isn't it? It just looks a nice path. Well, I looked up the meaning of the word temptation and it's rather bad, really, because what it says is tempted to do. And I thought, well, that's a lot of good. Temptation means tempted. Yeah, well, I know that. But what does tempted mean? But then there's another explanation for the adjective. It's actually attractiveness. And so that's really what it is. It's sort of the desire to want something nice and attractive and comfortable and easy in our lives. And that's the temptation. Our wish to have something easy and comfortable and nice. And hopefully going in the right direction, but we're never really quite sure. And this is really where Jesus is. The beginning of his ministry, he's looking at where he's going. 
Now, I assume, although of course we're never told, that before Christ came into the world, he had a long discussion with God about where he was going and what he was going to do. And there was a waymarked path, generally. I don't think that God went into the details about exactly what he would do on which day and when, but the general direction was there, and Jesus knew it. And he knew what the purpose was for his coming to earth. And it was there. But the question is, how do I get from A to B? How do I do the work that God wants me to do in the real world? Because as you know, it's very, very easy to map out a plan. I mean, when we were doing walking with the guides, I used, we used to sit and we'd have the evening to plan our walk. And we'd plan exactly where we were going. And how long it would take us. And how far it was. And what sort of terrain we thought we might meet. And then in the morning, we'd get our bags on our backs and we'd set off. And you know what? That walk was never exactly the way we thought it was going to be when we planned it the night before. There was always something in it that we hadn't expected, didn't know about. The bogs. I'll tell you, on top of Bleak Moor, up in the, in the Peak District, it's pretty boggy. And it's the same thing with Jesus, you know, and the same thing with everyone in life. You might know where you're going, but getting there isn't always easy. And Jesus is here on earth. He has put away his Godhead. He has put upon himself humanity. And he is living among people as people, And here he is working out how to get from A to B and how to do the work that God sent him to do. And what am I going to do? And here is the devil coming to him saying, that way is awfully steep. And you know it's not going to end in a very good ending. And you know it might not work and people might not listen. You know, you're taking awful chances going that way. Why don't you come this way? Look, it's nice and easy. And it will probably get you in the same place in the long run. In fact, it might be a lot quicker. And if you listen to me, we'll get through to a lot more people. Because I know what makes people in this world tick. And you know, all those highfalutin ideas you've got, well, yeah. But listen to me. Follow my way. Come, come the way I'll tell you. And we'll get there and you'll have everybody coming because you'll be speaking to them the things they want to hear, the way they want to go. And Jesus said, no, no. He could have been, he could have been a self-sufficient, wonder-working superman because that was really what the devil was tempting him to be. You can change the stones into bread so you'll not have any need. You can feed yourself whenever you want. You can have whatever you want. Just ask God, he'll give it to you. You can perform wonders and everyone will flop because they like people who do wonders. And you'll be Superman, saving the world. No. Jesus chose instead the way of a saviour, came into the world to show the love of God, 
to reunite people with God, to restore a broken relationship. And he basically said to the devil, that way sounds good, but it won't get me to where I want to be. There's only one way to do it, and that is to follow the way that I agreed with God in the beginning. I will go the way of God, even though it ends up at the cross, even though it means dying for these people, even if it means that they turn against me and they won't listen to me, even though it's going to be a slow job, I will go that way because that is the way that I am sure will lead me to the way, the place God wants me to be. And that is the way he chose to go the way of salvation rather than the way of imposition. Now, temptations come to everyone. We all have them. And the fact that Jesus did underlies the fact that he was truly human, that he had indeed become man with man. And he shared with us that same problem of having temptations. And don't think that it only happened once. All right, they only give one time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke to tell us that the temptations happen. John doesn't actually give us the temptations. But in the commentary I was reading, it said, yes, but John shows them in actual practice. John shows Jesus meeting each of these challenges in reality and facing them in the same way that he faced them at the beginning. The temptation to feed people the feeding of the 5,000 came, but they wanted more and more and more, and he refused. The temptation to be the king when they would all have taken him, and he refused. The times when, at the end, they put him on a cross, and he could have come down. He could have asked the angels to remove him from the cross, as he said to his persecutors, I choose, I choose. Not you. The wonder was not that Jesus was tempted, but that he was able to stand against the temptation. And because he was able to stand, he was able to bring us that gift from God, that gift of grace, that gift of redemption, that gift which makes us one with God and allows us that relationship that we can have when we call him Father. So Jesus turned his back on the devil and his temptations. He turned his back on the easy way and said, no, I will go up the difficult way because I know that will take me where I want to go. Now, what about us? Well, there is a danger today that we actually trivialise temptation. We actually trivialise Lent. We actually play it down. We sort of say, oh... Oh, I was tempted to have that extra cake. Oh, that was a gorgeous piece of clothing. I, I really was tempted to spend. I know I didn't need it, but I really wanted it. Oh, I need, I just need that. Well, I don't really need it, but I, oh, I can't resist it. Oh, it's such a temptation. You've tempted me. As if it's just something a bit, a bit easy, a bit not too bad. And we come to Lent, and what do we say? I've given up chocolate for Lent. I've decided not to, you know, as if that's a really special thing. And I know some people 
crave chocolate and really it is quite desperate to give it up for Lent. And I know one little girl who used to save all her chocolate in the fridge. So on, Christmas, on, Easter, Christmas, on Easter Sunday, she opened the fridge and gorged on chocolate. But I don't think that's the idea. Because what Lent talks about is not a simple little, give something up for just a short time and then I'll, I'll not think about it again. It's a case of a choice. A choice that we make. A choice that we make at the beginning of our Christian journey and when we greeted those new members, it's a choice they have made to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go his way. I want to be part of his family. I want to belong. But that's not an easy choice. It's not a simple thing. And you know, there's always the temptations that follow a choice like that. And they're very real. And they're very strong. The people who come in and then discover that, oh, yes, I want to worship with God's family, but, you know, I can't go next Sunday because this has happened. Or I can't go because... I can't... Because suddenly the devil puts things in the way. I miss a few weeks and then I feel guilty and I don't come back. You know, things happen. I've known people who've found a call to be a local preacher and they've started the training. And then work suddenly changes and there are demands. They come down with a mysterious illness and suddenly they find they, they're getting behind in the training. Something happens. Something happens to block and I am convinced the devil gets in the way. The temptations come to say, look, it's harder than you thought it was going to be. Give up. Give up. Or take the easier way. It's always a challenge and it doesn't only happen once. It happens throughout our lives. Those temptations are always there and always challenging us. But... What do we decide to do? Do we want to be self-sufficient? A lot of people do. I'm all right. I manage for myself. I don't need anyone else. I'm fine. I don't need God. Why do I need God? I'm managing perfectly well. And I've heard that said to me. I don't need God. Life's fine. What do I need God for? I am sufficient to myself. Do we want to be powerful, have a good job, get ahead, plough through, never mind whose toes we tread on, but we want the position, we want to be someone. Familiar? Hear it all the time. People who want the job, who want single-mindedly to get to the top of whatever place they're working. I want to be popular. I follow the crowd. I don't do Facebook, but I know a lot of people do. You know, and always wanting to share, but always wanting to be. And what a strain on a lot of young people to always have to keep up with the crowd, to be popular, to have all these likes, whatever they are, all these likes, you know. I've got to be popular. I've got to be one. I've got to be 
There are so many temptations, really strong, difficult temptations, and they are not easy. And it isn't easy to make a choice to follow Jesus, to go his way. It's not easy to say, I will listen to God and God only. I will follow in his direction. Because there are so many temptations, so many pulls on us. And the devil is very strong when he is in minded to win someone over. I choice. And we might say, well, I don't really believe in the devil. Well, all right, maybe we don't believe in that figure, medieval, you know, with horns and a tail. But there is certainly an evil influence which hauls on people and tries to get them into a way of life which is not good for them or for anyone else. There's a power there which seeks to drag people down and there's a power which seeks to lift people up. And it's a choice, a choice which one we follow. In the commentary I was reading, they said, the temptation story doesn't offer ethical instructions that cover every eventuality. But it does describe the perennial ethical challenges that Christians face both as individuals and a church. And we do face these. And when you have your church meeting today, you will be facing some of these problems because they are not easy tasks. What do we do? Some people think that coming to church means they'll be all right forevermore. If I'm in God's place, if I'm in God's family, he will take care of me. And I was talking to a Korean student at Wesley House who said in the Korean churches, a lot of people go because they think that that will do them very good, thank you, for their businesses. They will have good networks, good contacts. God will look after them because God's people will look after them. So they'll be okay. And there are churches, there are churches in America that proclaim, join us and you will rise in your profession. You will have plenty of money. God will... Give you back more than you ever give to him. He will fill your pockets. God didn't promise that. And then you can use the temptation to use the religion for winning people by being powerful. The church, powerful. Demanding that people join. Demanding that people worship. Demanding making it very difficult if they don't. Well, the church tried that. It didn't work terribly well, and it didn't do anything much for the kingdom of God. We were never called to be powerful. We were called to be the servants of the world. And that might mean sometimes that we feel as if everybody is trampling on us. But where our Saviour went, should we not follow And sometimes we are called, we are tempted to make compromises, to actually stop, water down what we believe, water down what we think, so that we don't put people off. And interestingly, last week we started our Lent course. I know it was a week early, but we have to watch our weeks. We have other things happening during Lent, and we don't always have an evening service. So we were doing it on the Sunday evening, starting our Lent course, and we went in, and one lady said, 
are we really having hymns and prayers? Don't you think that might put people off from coming? And I'm afraid I said, this is a worship time. I'm sorry. I know we're talking, we're doing a Lent course on the environment. I know we're talking about the environment, but we're talking it's part of God's world. And I'm afraid God is going to come into it. But, you know, do we get worried about putting God in? Are we scared that by putting God in, we might put people off? Well, if we're scared of putting God in... How are we going to ever convince the world that we believe in God and his work and that God is important to us? So important that we can never leave God out. How do we get new people? How do we work? We keep being told that the number of Christians is going down and down. How do we bring new people in? And the devil's always there with an answer. Oh, well, why don't you do this? Do you know that's nice? It'll attract them. Water down the gospel. Don't demand too much. And then maybe people will come. But Jesus says, you can't water down the gospel. The gospel is there. It's a gospel of love. Now, it isn't a gospel which tells us exactly what we have to do and exactly what we have to believe. It isn't a gospel which says the church must say you're in and you're out because you believe what I believe and you don't believe what I believe, so you're out. It's a gospel which follows the love of God. It's a gospel which includes the love of God, but that gospel which is based on the love of God says... We must live with that love of God no matter where it takes us. And it might take us into difficult places and it might be hard. But if God calls us, he does what he did to Jesus. He surrounds him with that energy and power and strength that allows him to go on to the cross. And Jesus will do the same for us. God will do the same for us. If we put ourselves on his side, he will surround us with what we need to keep strong, to keep going, to get up that stiff hill, to not have to think about the shortcut because we will be so glued to God that we will be ready to follow his way wherever he leads us and we know that he will keep us firm. He kept Jesus to the end. And the end was victory over death, victory over sin, and redemption for us all. He will keep us too. So at Lent, we remember the choices. Which way are we going? Are we following Jesus? And we used to have a chorus which said, I am determined to follow Jesus. I'm determined to follow Jesus. I'm determined to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's take that as our words. I'm determined to follow his way. No turning back. No turning back. Amen.